Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Today's guest is a veteran of a business which had fledgling status 35 years ago or more, but is now a crucial plank in the core of the cattle business. A veteran of the live export trade out of Northern Australia, Patrick Underwood, you are on the grill for Brief Central. Welcome. G'day, Kerry. Thank you. Patrick, uh, I know you've been in the game a while, but for your mum and dad, they were real pioneers in the live trade in the early days. Do you recall those early times for the live exporters? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my grandfather bought Inverway Station right back in 1956, so, and, and sort of mum and dad started their own property, the river end of, of Inverway Station, and um, that's where we grew up as kids, my, my brother and two sisters, and you know, it was just part of a family sort of building a cattle station, but live export was important from the very early days. I think when there was the sort of 1970s and all the difficulties with the beef crash, but when the 80s came and live export was introduced, it was, it, it, you know, quickly, even back in those days, became a very um, important market. But uh, earlier on, you went off for a very thorough education down south before returning. You, you did some uh, university degrees? That's right. So we all did. School of the Air um, on the station. Mum actually taught us. God love her. For 14 years, she spent in the in the uh, classroom with um, between my older sister and younger sister. But then, uh, like a lot of station kids, we went off to boarding school. So I went to boarding school in Sydney, finished school in Sydney, and and, and did a university degree, did a bachelor of commerce. Just 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 something to. <laughs> I'm going to laugh now. Maybe go home and avoid the uh, hard work. But the other thing is that my parents were always. Um, you know, pretty adamant that we, we get some education and, and therefore we could come home if we wanted to rather than because that was the only place we knew. Did uh, you or anybody know at the time or ever imagine the live trade out of the north would become so crucial for a lot of reasons, including, of course, that it puts some sort of uh, platform in the in the cattle price across much of Australia? Uh, I think, I, I honestly think, especially when Brahmins were coming in, um, yeah, in the early days, because the the economies of scales were so good for the Indonesians, the cost of feed was so was so good um, labour, and you know those early pioneers who went up there could just see the fact that there's you know millions of mouths to feed, cheap labour, cheap feed, and you know only three or four days on the boat. So it was yes. pretty logical when you look at that, that. You know, northern Australia is the complete opposite, of course, vast areas of sort of I guess you call it semi-productive land, so goods are grazing cattle. And um, not a lot of people, and of course, there's no there's no um, processing facilities in northern Australia. So I think, as you saw, I can remember in the really early days, Wyndham Meatworks. Um, then, of course, there was Catherine Meatworks and, and, and others. And as they sort of closed their doors, that's when the live trade really became crucial. Once you know, once the the limited options we did have for meatworks, once they started closing down, it was you know very much the uh, the market. And as you mentioned, a, a short supply chain just four days to many of those markets in in uh, in Asia. Yeah, it's just sensible. Like we're in in the north, we don't have a lot of opportunities to you know it's, it's all grass fed. You know, long dry seasons of yeah. eight or nine months restrict you know grazing ability and capacity and the ability to sort of grow cattle out. So it's just it's sensible mm. to sell young cattle to to somewhere where they can be grown out. Where do you see the live trade as it is at present? Uh, it's it's uh, struggling a little, I would suggest. Is it part of a cycle? Or can we see it recover to those heady days of 700,000 a year, etc.? 
Look, good question. Um, it certainly has had its challenges in the last, particularly in the last three or four years. I mean, you know, some of them are some, you know, COVID related, others are, are price related. Um, obviously, cattle prices got in Darwin got well over five dollars, which is you know very expensive. And then look, there's a lot of regulation. The cost of regulation is is, is really quite crippling to the industry. You know, I think that's that that's been a big challenge. So I think, but you know. Between those areas, it's become more difficult. And then, of course, we've seen Indonesia that was always the, the biggest market, and for a long time they only took in meat and livestock from from um, FMD-free countries. Yeah. So Australia had a, a pretty, you know, pretty good run up there as a, almost the sole supplier of of livestock and, and 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 a lot of the meat as well. But in the last, I think it's probably four or five years now, we've seen, you know, Indian buffalo meat a lot cheaper. You know, it's a different uh, protein, but it certainly um, is, is a you know competitor for Australian cattle up there. So, yeah, a, a number of reasons that numbers fall. And I mean, there's a, there's a, a pickup last year. I think there was probably four consecutive years of falls, and then last year a bit of an upturn. And and I think things are are okay this year, but of course at the moment we're sitting here with no permits. Yeah. Uh, talk about permits in a moment, but Indonesia, I read, is hoping to get local beef prices. I assume that's a wet market beef price down below 100,000 rupees per kilo. That's down 40% in prices a couple of months back. Is that a pipe dream or is it possible? 40% down? Seems remarkable. It's a big country with a lot of people. And obviously, yeah. if you look at the purchasing power of the average Indonesian, it's, it's much less than Australia. Look, it's, it's, it's working at current prices. It was interesting last year for us in the industry because the price corrected in Australia so much. I mean, we're talking from a, a Darwin feeder steer price went from sort of 520 to maybe 260 by about November. And we we're really expecting as the price fell the demand to pick up quickly. But I think there was, there's a number of reasons it didn't. There's obviously some lag effects. And then, you know, there's some issues with LSD and FND in the, in the previous couple of years. But towards the end of last year, as a lot of that product in, in Indonesia was, was put through the system, that I'm talking about product from cattle that had LS, well, mainly FMD if they were sort of infected or even just affected or, or, or thought to be infected with FMD, yeah. a lot of them were, were, were processed and, and sold and some of them went into the cold chain over there. So it was like a little bit surprising for us that we were sort of only doing the same numbers of cattle, but towards the end of the year, and certainly December was a huge year, and the demand over, the, the demand at the moment is good in Indonesia. So I think the market itself in Indonesia is probably as healthy as it has been for the last three or four years. The permits, uh, Patrick, uh, the apparently successful candidate for president, Prabowo Subianto, will he be good for the permits issue? I mean, are we likely to hear something faster now that this has been decided? Look, we certainly hope so. I mean, from an Australian perspective, we're used to not seeing them for the first couple of weeks of the year. There's sort of a calendar a permit. So, it's, you know, they're given to each of the importers over there who apply for them the previous year for a certain number. Yeah. And that's their, that's their permit to, or their, you know, their, their, um, you know, application and approval to import a certain livestock the following year. So we're, we're expecting them second, third week of January. But I tell you what, it's, it's, it's starting to, um, drag on now. Once they didn't come in January, there was some thought that it, you know, they'd obviously been caught up in the election process, but, you know, the election was on the 14th of February. The, the um, right Prabowo did win, did win by a majority, which is which means that he is the successful um, and, you know, the incoming president. Yeah. Is, he, um, is he a known and, supporter of the live trade? 
of your yeah, allied trade? Well, yeah, we, we, we believe so. Like, I was in Indonesia last week and asking a number of importers over there. And I think, um, you know, it's a good decide. Yes, he's good. And, and also the fact that he won sort of decisively. You know, I think once you get closely contested elections in, in, in a lot of countries, of course, then, you know, it's sort of a bit more unrest than if someone's won outright and, and won well. So, yeah, we, we don't, we don't expect him to be. Um, you know, any sort of an opponent to, to the to the trade over there. But at the same time, we're, we're sort of desperate looking for permits by now. Yeah. A lot of uh, cattle waiting for their sea voyage and with no permits, of course, not going anywhere. They're they getting close to their their spec weights. Is that an issue? Yep. No, it's not because the same cattle would be on in Indonesia normally. So they would have arrived there four to six weeks ago and be putting on more weight in Indonesia than if they were in Australia. So what we're seeing is a bit of a gap in the market. So the importers over there are not going to have cattle for six or eight weeks. So they'll be looking for bigger cattle. So, that you know, if they were looking for a 330-kilo animal in early January, hasn't come until late February, then, they, you know, there'll, there'll be, I mean, obviously, there'll be some conversations, commercial conversations between importer and exporter, but... I don't see that be a problem, and at the moment we'll see some pretty strong demand for, for bigger cattle in Indonesia. Yeah, I know this doesn't concern you, but, but there are always permits needed for box beef, and box beef exports have fell through the cellar last month. It's impacting right across the industry, isn't it, the permits issue? It, it is, and I think some reassurance from, from Australia is that it, it is other commodities apart from just Australian meat and Australian livestock and there's yeah. other countries affected. If it was just um, Australian meat and livestock, you know, that you sort of probably read into it that there might be some more yeah. so political a, things at play. But yeah. It's the same, it's same for IBM, it's the same for Indian Buffalo meat. Indian Buffalo meat, no, Indian Buffalo meat permits were approved, but that's a, oh, they're, they're they're often um they're sort of imported not there's a, a, a government arm that imports those. So yeah, I, I believe that I believe they're in Kerry. So Ramadan in Malaysia and Indonesia goes from the 10th of March until April 9th. Almost, is it too late to get cattle in for, for Ramadan? Well, there's two. So the two peak periods are what you said. There's the fasting week just before the yeah. you know, early early March. Yep. That's obviously, you know, that's coming up quick. February is a short month. Yeah. Um, now, there's, there's cattle on feed up there. Um, so, that, you know, they're, but, but they're having to restrict their sales. So, you know, the, the guys are selling 50 a day have sort of wound it back to 30 a day. Um, so that they don't run out of cattle, and they keep them for these peak festivals. But look, there's no, there's no doubt that once the um, permits come, it, you know, it'll, it'll be on. And I, I think, that in in some ways, it's it's turned out better than it might have for Australia. Just that there's been a big northern wet season, so it's pretty wet. I mean, it's a bit dry over towards Broome, and uh, you know, Australia's a huge country. But generally speaking, a lot of the territory, a lot of Queensland, has you know, has had decent rain. And in fact, you know, we're, we're putting together a little small consignment for Brunei at the moment that's loading tomorrow. And, you know, with the Darwin sort of had six or eight inches of rain earlier this week, and it was hard enough getting them in. So it, it, it would have been a, a, a logistical challenge. And mind you, exporters are up to them, um, you know, if we'd, if we'd had, if we'd had um, permits. But fortunately, the cattle that have stayed here, most of them do have fresh grass. But of course, people are keen to keep their cash flows going, and people are also keen to sell cattle this time of year so that they can regenerate those paddocks that the yeah. cattle have come out of while there's still six weeks of the wet season left. Patrick, the uh, the apparently successful candidate Prabowo Subianto, he's the incoming president for Indonesia, he is advocating free milk for school children. Now, someone has estimated that would require 
at least two and a half million dairy cattle for Indonesia. Is that a reality? Do you think that might ever happen? Look, dairy's in the tropics. I'm not. I'm not an expert, but I've been to a few of them, and you know, there's, there's obviously great challenges. And you know, there's some cool areas in, in, in Indonesia and some some mountainous areas. But look, at the end of the day, I think it's a pretty big challenge. That's for sure. There is a dairy up there somewhere in the Highlands. I remember, uh, and it's been there for some time. I think. Yeah, Santori, and yeah. Um, I think Dick Slaney. Uh, you know, uh, uh, many of your listeners would know is um is is, is mm. running a dairy up there at the moment. Our guest today, Patrick Unwood, veteran livestock exporter out of Northern Australia. Time for a break now. We're here for Rhinogard from Zoetis and Elders Australia. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Bovishield MH1 for protection against pneumonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your weaners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with Bovishield and Rhinogard. Available from your local vet today. For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval. Elders for Australian agriculture. We're back on the grill for Beef Centre. Our guest today, Patrick Underwood. There are um, other local issues for uh, the live export trade, animal activism. Is the is the industry proactive here, or does it still remain reactive? Look, there's a, a, a real attempt to be proactive, and it's. I think what's I'm pleased to see is that it's, it's very much a, a um, Australia-wide industry. You know, with a, with a whole lot of people. Councils and different industry bodies all sort of working together. It's very well known that the, this governor, um, are, you know, planning to phase out the, the sheep industry, and that's actually, I think, been very good for galvanising the entire industry. You know, across different protein sources and across different states, um, you know, very much seen as the thin end of the wedge that are, you know, a legitimate, very legitimate, important industry, and in, in, you know, to Australia, to Australian producers, yeah. livestock producers, you know. Is, is been phased out at this stage, although they haven't made the you know they haven't um, made the announcement yet. Yeah, there's been reports and uh, they're they've been widely uh, circulated, which suggest live export crews have been paid money by animal activists to provide footage from onboard live export ships. Is, is this is there absolute evidence of this? Has this happened? Yeah, I'm. I'm um... I've, I've certainly spoken to people who have seen it firsthand. Um, um, so look, I, look, I believe it happens, and obviously it's, it's terribly disappointing if it if it does happen. Um, you know, it'd be, it'd be unbelievable to think that someone could actually undertake something that would impact animals' welfare to try and to try and make you know a political point. So yeah, it's, it's pretty disappointing. I, I can remember right back to to 2011. You know, around that. The, you know the terrible time when there was a six-week ban yeah. up here in northern Australia. Well, sorry, it wasn't northern Australia. It was you know to Indonesia from Australia, 
And um, at that time, it was an animal activist saying, look, if you guys want to help, jump on the plane with us. We're going up to Indonesia, you know, like grab whatever you need to do, but come and help sort of stuff. Don't sit here and, and make this type of headlines. You know, get get amongst it. Yeah, there were reports of payments made to workers in those suburban abattoirs to um, do something to cattle whilst they were being filmed. Look, there's a lot of people that don't earn a lot of money in those countries, yeah. and if someone wires money in front of them, you can, I'm sure, you get most things done. Yeah. Now, the the live trade in its future. The, the government has already announced uh, the shutdown of the sheep live trade out of Western Australia. Is this the uh, first shot, do you suspect, in the move to shut the live trade out of the north? Or do you feel safe? If you look what happened in 2011, obviously the, you know, the class action's ongoing. But just the, you know, the impact it had then and the well-known and widely reported impact, you know, not just across the north, I mean, not just the producers, but the people involved in the entire industry. And then even, even in that time, it flowed through the to eastern and southern sale yards. I, you know, I think because of that ban and a lot of things that have happened in SCAF and a lot of improvements and various yeah. things, that they're virtually shutting down the, the northern Australian cattle industry. And if you look at the, the money that's been spent, the investment and the cost of land up here, people employed, like all those things, without a lot of trade, they're, they're all gone. So, you know, it'd be, it'd be a pretty big call to, to ruin Australia's cattle industry by shutting live exports. I don't yeah. think it'll happen. Let's go back to those... Uh the darkest days in the history of the live trade, and I refer to the Joe Ludwig decision of 2011. Uh, he put a stop to the live trade, of course. You would have vis- vivid memories uh, of that time? Because you were involved. You were heavily involved at a bureaucratic level, weren't you? Y- yes, I was. So at, at the time, I'd sort of previously worked in agri-politics with the Northern Territory Livestock Exporters and, and, and Meat and Livestock Australia, but I had gone back to run um, one of the family stations at Inverway Station, and um, at, at the time we'd been called into 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 Catherine. Just it was a, a, a cattlemen's association sort of crisis. ready to talk about it, but that um, evening there was talk that Julie Gillard would be in Darwin and, and wanted to meet with sort of heads of the industry. And I was one of four people that was sort of ushered into a room at sort of nine o'clock at night in a local politician's office on the streets on Mitchell Street in Darwin, and and, and Julie Gillard told us that she was going to suspend the trade the following morning. And, you know, we, we were just, you know, e- even at that time, we were just absolutely shocked and begged her and implored with her to, to don't do it. You know, because I, I, I could say firsthand that, you know, all the times I've been to needs of all the places, there was, at that time, everyone knew that the feedlots were magnificent. And, you know, the vast majority of the of the, um, of the facilities of the cattle were being processed but were also fine. And so there'd been this, Report on you know on on a, on a number of, sort of you know road facilities and the industry was prepared to suspend them immediately. Like no, none of us want to see any of that sort of stuff. In fact, less than the average person, you know, Australian farmers and producers detest and bore animal cruelty. So I was involved from you know right then with Julie Gillard, where you know she sort of ignored all our common sense and and and, and begging her not to, and, and then it was suspended. And then of course. Um, my family at the time were, you know, we had, we had three properties. We had cattle that were supposed to be shipped the following day. And so, yeah, really heavily involved with, you know, our properties weren't far from the Bretts. And obviously, um, Emily Brett and Hamish and Colin and the family, you know, did, did a great job taking that to Canberra and, and, and winning the case. But yeah, very difficult, very, very, very difficult time. Just a lot of uncertainty. And I think that was the main thing. And, you know, I remember at the time, you know, Indonesians that I knew well 
calling me up and sort of saying, "What's going on? What what have we done wrong? What have we done wrong?" And I said, "You know, you guys have done nothing wrong. You know, none of none of us have done anything wrong." And yeah, really tough time, I reckon, Kerry, for the industry. I think it was eight or ten thousand families without an income instantly. That was uh, sort of bizarre, not thought of, I suspect. Yeah, just just the time of the year as well. So the thing is, it was it was sort of June, July, and that's in, in running into August, and up here. That's where you're finishing first round. That's where you need to put your wieners into in the, in the fresh paddocks. The time of you know the you know the rural shows, the Catherine Darwin show, and the, um, you know just, just so as far as a in the you know a, to do something that disrupted you at that time of the year as well. So there was it was, it was a lot of things, and you know, it had been tough enough the, the years before prior to because you know there'd been things like the three fifty kilo weight limit and other things in Indonesia. Yeah. Pay was going well. But it was it was tough enough, and the other markets weren't firing. So you know there was a, you know there's, there's these other markets that operate around Indonesia. But at the time, Vietnam wasn't wasn't an option, and then we just sort of had things you know the Philippines and Brunei, or whatever. So there was no one to take up the slack at all. So and and then I think there's just there's this continual shock that you know your own government, everyone pays taxes and lives in a civilized society. Your own government could, could sort of betray us like that. Yeah. The court case still unsettled. Is there any movement, or you just have to sit and wait? Yeah, again, it's been going for. I mean, it's. it's I think the Brett um, was was successful. That's in two thousand, so it's sort of entering a fourth year now. You know, oh. even since the judge has handed down his verdict, and yeah, really disappointing because the you know the, the, there's there's obviously um, been some offers and and, and others, but the, the you know the, the recent one in January the nineteenth was um, you know rejected outright by, by the government, so it's sort of back to the drawing board. So, yeah, that's that's a long time now, 2011. You know, people have, unfortunately, people have died or, or you know, struggling, you know, because of it and all the rest. And it's just, a, you know, just, I just believe that the, you know, the government should just, you know, follow the follow the rules handed down by a judge and, and, and make good with their damages and just put an end to a, to a dark chapter in, in the history of the, you know, cattle industry, I believe. Patrick, a couple of positive issues to finish on. This It was a very interesting move, I thought, across the north to put waggy bills across the Brahmin herd. Has that made any noticeable difference to the cattle you offered or can offer to the northern trade? Not yet. It's interesting. I mean, I think it's just a, a, some of the new ownership and, you know, investment coming into the territory and, you know, a lot of integrated Queensland-type operations. Or, so, no, it's interesting. Like we've sold a few, a few waggies as, as, as breeders. There's a, little, there's, a, there's a bit of interest. I think, you know, some of the, some of the probably stems right back to 2011 where you producers at, at the time, you know, started doing a bit of cost breeding and potentially moving away from, from Brahmins because there was just a little bit of, you know, loss, loss of faith in the, in the industry. Yeah, the Wagyu, though, is quite a step, though, isn't it? I mean, Wagyu, the elite beef, allegedly, of the world, and suddenly it's being thrown across these Brahmins across the north, which I found... Quite. Look, uh, it'll be an interesting one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think people sort of forget that it's you know big distances to water sometimes, and it's and it's hot, and it's yeah. uh, you know long dry seasons and all the rest. But you know, obviously, it's toe in the water. So you know, the, a lot of them are, are you know very old, established, knowledgeable um, you know companies. So just interesting to see the genetics coming in. I mean, there's still we talked before about the numbers like live export. You know, was over a million head a year. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's sort of, you know, numbers the last years have been sort of 600 plus thousand. And, and that's not to Indonesia, that's sort of total exports yeah. out of Australia. So it, you, it just really depends on the Queensland market as to the, the supply of cattle. Like we'll always, 
always obviously when you've got the Kimberley in the north of Western Australia, you know, most of the northern part of the Territory um, is, is, is an absolute, um, you've you sort of died in the wool live export country. And then, there, then of course, there's you know, Barclay and Western Queensland and northern Queensland, the Gulf country, et cetera, that can operate in, in, in both markets. And, and, you know, that's the important thing there is the fact that there are, you know, there's marketing options for, you know, for producers and different times of year, different types of cattle. There's some demands there for live export. Is that dream of exporting beef out of uh, northern Australia, box beef, I mean, is that a $100 million meatwork still in mothballs up there just near Darwin? Look, I drive past it every week. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's, it's being maintained. I understand yeah. that, um, you know, there's been some conversations around restarting it. But, the, the you know, the, the, the issue is the supply of, of slaughter-ready yeah. cattle, you know, available. Yeah, reality strikes, doesn't it, when you go through, to go through the sums now? A significant recent development is the growing of cotton across the north. What's what's the broad opinion about cotton in the territory, and and northern Australia generally? It's look, there's a, there's a sense of excitement about it. I mean, particularly people have been trying to farm in northern Australia for you know reasonably unsuccessfully, you know, for for decades because you know there's so much rain up here and so much water and so much land. So I think I think you know there's there's some there's some there's some definitely excitement about it from, from for a number of people, and it's been a while to get the, uh, the the gins operating. So there's one now in Catherine, which is just recently in the last couple of months. I understand is operating, and then one in Kununurra. So the fact that they're not sort of carting it across Australia um, will certainly give them some, you know, save them some freight. And, and then I think the you know the really interesting thing is is, is, is cotton seeds, obviously a very viable and a high protein fodder or, or something we can, you know, feed cattle up here and, and be either part of a ration or, or just get some protein into weaners or whatever. So it's, it's good, definitely good for Northern Australia. The, the challenge always up here has been to try and get a first round weaner gone, you know, that yeah. that year. Um, and so, a lot, you know, if, if you're having to carry them over, over for another 12 months, so anything that can keep cattle moving forward in the dry season, you know, is, is a good thing. So, yeah, there's a fair, bit, a fair bit of it going in. I'll, I'll be pretty interested to see how it handles this wet season. It's been a Darwin's had one of those, you know, very hot December, and then it was very wet in January, and it's very hot. You know, it's, it's sort of yeah. it's definitely pushing the extreme. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how it goes. It's your best wet season for years and years, I think. In fact, now you're you're quite positive about the future, barring any uh, black swan events. You're positive about the future for live exports uh, across the north. Yeah, I am, Terry. Like, it's a, it's definitely a challenging industry. I sort of describe it as a, a jigsaw puzzle where the, you know, the pieces keep changing shapes on you sort of thing, and it's pretty hard to sometimes to put them all together. But, look, at, at the end of the day, you know, there's, there's great cattle in northern Australia. We don't have a market, and, you know, there's, there's, there's some really, you know, wonderful individuals in, in market. Some of these importers have been there for, you know, 30, 40 years. And once you go over there, and you see these cattle, you know, that you've, you've, you've selected yourself or drafted, gone on a ship, and you go and see them 90 or 100 days later, they're happy, content, and, and, and you, once you sort of walk around the feedlots, you see, the, you know, this whole community there, there's people working in the feedlots, there's the truck drivers, and, you know, there's little villages and, and mosques, and, you know, the farmers bringing the corn in. When you, you, you the, the happy moments are, are, are really there, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're an important cog and feed in the world, so... If we can just, you know, get some permits, keep the cattle price stable, I think is, is a good thing. Like I think, you know, prices anywhere 
in the three dollars are all good. I mean, of course, producers would like to see it higher, but anywhere in the three dollars is um, you know works and, and support from the Australian government, the Australian banks, and we'll be away. Patrick Underwood, live exporter. You seem to have been around forever, and you certainly have done it all. Best of luck, and thank you so much for your time today, being on the grill for Beef Central. Thanks, Kerry. Great to talk. And thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan. This has been the Weekly Grill, brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis.